0: Coming to you from deep inside the bowels of a great big empty. Get ready for another episode of The Home Defense Show with Skip Coriel.
1: Hello, American families. Welcome to this week's episode of The Home Defense Show. I'm your host, Skip Coriel. And if you love your family, care about them deeply, and want to learn how to protect them in every facet of your life, then you've come to the right place. Wow we got a good show for you today today we're going to be talking with Sam Jacobs he's the chief historian and lead writer for ammo.com you've probably read some of his articles maybe you didn't even realize they were from him but uh, we did a great interview uh, with Sam today uh, and we'll be hearing that in segments two and three Wow you know it's amazing what can happen in ten days It's been 10 days since I uh, spoke to you. So much has happened and continues to happen uh, in America, all across the world. It's just, it's like bizarro land out there, right? I mean, my gosh, uh, you can't shake hands with people. Uh, You can't get within six feet of people. If someone sneezes, the world is going to end. Man, you know, folks... I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm a little stymied. I don't exactly know what to make of this. Is it real? Is it not real? Uh, I really don't know. Uh, however, I was—I've uh, been reading all kinds of articles about this. Uh, you know, cause I'm just kind of like a news junkie, right? You know, especially when people are predicting the end of the world as we know it. So uh, I came across this one this morning, and, and I probably read ten articles just. In the last hour. Uh, This is an opinion article out of New York Times. It says uh, the best case outcome for the coronavirus and the worst. Subtitled, will we endure 2.2 million deaths or will we manage to turn things around? I vote for the latter. Here's the grimmest version of life a year from now. More than two million Americans have died from the new coronavirus, almost all mourned without funerals. Countless others have died because hospitals are too overwhelmed to deal adequately with heart attacks, asthma, and diabetic crises. The economy is cratered into a depression, for fiscal and monetary policy are ineffective when people fear going out, businesses are closed, and tens of millions of people are unemployed. A vaccine still seems far off, immunity among those who have recovered proves fleeting, and the coronavirus has joined the seasonal flu as a recurring peril. Well, that's grim. Of course, that's the worst case scenario. <laughs> All right, here's, yet here's an alternative scenario for March 2021, one year from now. Life largely returned to normal by the late summer of 2020, and the economy has rebounded strongly. The United States used a sharp, short shock in the spring of 2020 to break the cycle of transmission. Warm weather then reduced new infections and provided a summer respite for the northern hemisphere. By the second wave in the fall, mutations had attenuated the coronavirus. Many people were immune and drugs were shown effective in treating it and even in reducing infection. Thousands of Americans died, mostly octogenarians and nonagenarians. Those are people in their 80s and 90s. And some with respiratory conditions. But by February 2021, vaccinations were introduced worldwide and the virus was conquered. Hey, you have your choice, right? You guys can, uh, do you want to be an optimist or a pessimist? It's totally up to you. Of course, uh, the virus probably has a mind of its own. Uh, You know, it will do its best to survive, right? And the only way it can survive is by infecting new hosts. So, hey, you pick today uh, what you're going to believe. Are you a pessimist? Are you an optimist? I am optimistic. Uh, I got to tell you, though, in the last 10 days, um, you know, with the death toll mounting and uh, the infection rate mounting, uh, I've changed a little bit. I am doing more social distancing. Uh, I'm self-employed, so I can... Certainly do that, but I still believe that things are going to be just fine. Uh, It's going to turn this around. If this is like every other virus out there, it will slow down when warm weather hits. Uh, We will develop immunities to it, um, as well as treatments and things like that. So I'm optimistic that things are going to be just fine. And quite frankly, folks, for the vast majority of us. You're gonna be just fine, even if you get it. I mean, some are some are prophesying or you know, broadcasting that you know seventy percent of the United States is going to contract Covid nineteen. And you think, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Well, if it has a hundred percent mortality rate, then yeah, that's terrible. Right now it's at three point four percent, but eighty five percent of those are older people, sixty five and older. And people with pre-existing health problems, you know, uh, like uh, heart disease, uh, diabetes, uh, you know, chronic lung problems, uh, you know, things like that. I don't think uh, there's even been a single death of anyone in the U.S. under age 20. So, hey, if you're young and strong, you're going to be just fine. Here's the key: have a healthy immune system boost your immune system stay healthy eat right Uh, I've been taking uh, zinc magnesium selenium vitamin C uh, vitamin D simply because I did the research and I found out that those are the vitamins that will uh, give me a more healthy immune system right now listen to this here's my cup hmm it's not my usual frappuccino This is a a vitamin C. I got some powdered vitamin C, and I just put like a half a teaspoon in an eight-ounce glass. And it's kind of like drinking lemon water. But that's what I'm doing. Uh, My family is healthy. I'm healthy. Things are going just fine. Uh, I'm going to do more shooting. Why? Because I stocked up on my ammo uh, about uh, two weeks ago before the shortage started. All kinds of rumors, right? Rumors are, uh, oh, geez, two days from now, uh, it's rumored that uh, gun stores in Michigan are going to be shut down by the governor. You know, I tried to substantiate that rumor. I couldn't. There's nothing official. Uh, I know that the gun stores are having a lot of trouble with Nix checks. You know, the system is bogged down. That's probably because so many people are buying guns right now. But, hey... (laughs) It's crazy out there. Do what you can. Do what you think is best to protect your family. Uh, we're watching a lot of movies. Last night we watched uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is a classic. I just, I just love that movie. You know, we've been watching apocalyptic adventure movies, things like that, just to you know, get with the uh, the feel of the times here. I know to some people that might sound sick and morbid, but, but hey, you know, uh, Contagion, Outbreak, uh, The Stand. All good movies, you know, if you can handle it. Okay, well, hey, uh, enough ranting here. Enough about uh, coronavirus. Uh, We'll talk more about that in uh, segment four. Uh, Right now, uh, we are going to take a two-minute break. When we come back, uh, we're going to be speaking with Sam Jacobs. He is the lead writer and and chief historian for Ammo.com. Uh, while we're away, check out our sponsors, com slash Tactical, and also Center Shot Indoor Gun Range, com. This is Skip Coriel on Home Defense Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome to the Home Defense Show with my dad, Skip Coriel. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back.
0: Wouldn't it be wonderful if life was like the movies and the good guys always won? In today's world, if you're forced to use your firearm to protect yourself, you will need protection. Firearms Legal Protection is here for you. FLP provides you with seasoned, experienced attorneys that handle your criminal and civil matters as a result of you protecting
1: yourself. Firearmslegal.com provides its members with uncapped attorney's fees, bail bond protection, and coverage in all 50 states. We are not a reimbursement plan. You can access uncapped attorney's fees for as low as $10 a month. Firearms Legal members are provided with educational services, training videos, and access to our vast national attorney network. While you're protecting yourself, let Firearms Legal protect you. Listen up, folks, this is important. There are plenty of legal protection services out there, but none will protect you as well as firearms legal protection. This is the one I use and the only one I recommend. Visit firearmslegal.com slash Midwest Tactical and protect your family now. Hey folks, I want to tell you about my book, Civilian Combat, The Concealed Carry Book. More and more people across the country are seeing the dangers in society and are deciding to carry concealed to protect themselves and their families. My new book lays it out step by step. It'll teach you how to protect and defend the ones you love. Get the benefit of 19 years of teaching experience and a lifetime of training for this important role in society and in your family. You can get civilian combat real easy. Just go to Amazon.com, search on Skip Coriel, Civilian Combat, and it'll pop right up there. Don't put it off any longer. Get Civilian Combat, the concealed carry book by yours truly, Skip Coriel. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. Today, we have got a special guest. His name is Sam Jacobs. He's the lead writer and chief historian of ammo.com. Sam, welcome to the Home Defense Show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Wow. Sam, I've been really looking forward to this. I, you know, I, uh, I read the stuff on ammo.com all the time. It's a great website. And, uh, you know, I, in particular, I read your article. Uh, On the history of the ATF, but before we get launched into that, for the sake of uh, our listeners here, uh, give us uh, an example. Uh, You know who the flying liplock is? uh, Sam Jacobs. Tell us about yourself.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, as you said, I'm the I'm the uh, lead writer and chief historian at Ammo.com. I bring a lot of the historical and kind of cultural and social view to Ammo.com, so that it's not just you know a place where you can. buy ammunition and arm yourself physically but it's also a place where you can arm yourself kind of intellectually and philosophically and historically and get a um you know view of things like i don't think that i'm sure that most of the people listening to this do not like the atf but you can get a better (laughs) idea of specifically what is wrong with the ATF um, or any number of other issues it's really uh i'm really proud of the work that we do over there
1: awesome awesome now you know all across the country with this coronavirus uh fears and whatever um we're seeing uh spikes in ammo uh, purchases and gun purchases uh does ammo.com have any ammo left
0: <laughs> well we do as far as i know um, <laughs> haven't checked the stores this morning, but as we discussed off-mic, uh, you know, off mic, I just headed out to my uh, bug-out location because I am a permanently mobile person. Uh, I live in a travel trailer and move all around, and I just decided that it was time to get a little more um, sedentary. So, I mean, you know, through through a miracle of God, this may all be wiped away by the time your, your listeners uh, hear it, but, um, you know, I would... I would, uh, without wanting to cause panic, um, I would urge people to take this uh, very seriously and to take precautions and to kind of, um, you know, prepare themselves to hunker down for
1: a bit. So so when uh, the president talked about social distancing, you took him <laughs> real seriously and you went to your bug out location. It's like, hey, I I'm not going to see anybody. Is that kind of the deal? Well, you know, you got to go, you got
0: to do stuff, uh, but I'm. <laughs> Definitely following COC guidelines about uh, keeping, you know, six feet away from people. Um, I'm going to be wearing a baklava to the supermarket. Um, You know, I think that it's it's better to kind of err on the side of caution because while they're finding that most of these cases are not terribly serious. The ones that are serious are very, very serious. I mean, you know, you're kind of like the Indians right now in that there's this new disease that you have absolutely no immunity to and how you're going to react to it is kind of anybody's guess. I mean, it's more likely that you'll become seriously ill if you're an elderly person or you're immunocompromised or something like that. Uh, But there's, you know, enough young, healthy people on ventilators right now in Italy and China and Iran and, you know, Spain and other places that, you know, you if you knew how many there were that were young and fit and healthy that are in critical condition right now, um, you would probably conduct yourself a bit more carefully. But again, th- all of this comes with the, the disclaimer that, like, I am not. Uh, I am by no means an epidemiologist. I am by no means a medical expert. Um, I am just one guy who's kind of been following this. And I think that really the main thing is that, you know, people just need to, uh, take reasonable precautions, wash their hands, uh, stay, you know, a few feet away from people, avoid large public gatherings. And, um, I think that the most important thing in any situation where there's, um, you know, a disaster or calamity or something that people, um, some sort of socially disruptive thing going on. You know, it's, it's very important to maintain ties with your neighbors, to maintain ties, maintain ties with your family, uh, for people to let each other know that they're available to help, you know, when and where it's needed, because that's how we're going to get through any kind
1: of disaster. It sounds like, uh, Sam, uh, you're a bit of a prepper. Is that safe to say? I think a bit of a prepper is like exactly what I am. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I think that that main like preppers do really well when they have when they have massive skill sets. Uh-huh. Uh and I do not have massive skill
1: sets. <laughs> you talk so, on like, the radio and you're right.
0: And I know how to do other stuff too but like, you know, if like the tractor, you know, if if the tractor slips a rotor like I can't machine a new one. <laughs> um Got and, it. but there's people if you have that level of skills you're probably a really good prepper. Um I'm more worried about things like, you know, no electricity for three months, mm-hmm. or these kinds of more down-to-earth um, calamities that I think are are within my ability to weather. I mean, if there's like a total social breakdown, I don't see myself lasting too, too. <laughs> okay.
1: Months. All right. Well, uh, hopefully this isn't your last broadcast, uh, Sam. Uh, so you you better stay where you are and social distance. Cover your mouth, all that stuff. All right, Sam. Let's get right into the meat of all this now. I've always had a a visceral, I guess, bad taste in my mouth uh, for the ATF. I mean, I'm I'm a gun owner, Second Amendment activist. You know, and, and I know a lot of people are, are are a lot of gun owners. They're like that. It's like, okay, I know I hate the ATF, but I don't know why. Okay, and and you wrote this great article on the history of the ATF. Can can you go back and and tell us what do my listeners need to know about the history of the ATF?
0: Well, one thing that they'll <laughs> one thing that'll make them like the ATF even less is that the ATF shares a common origin story with the IRS. Oh, okay. Um, the ATF was was initially created in eighteen eighty six. It was part of the Treasury Department. It was called the Revenue Laboratory in the Bureau of Internal Revenue and then it was shuffled over to the bureau of prohibition basically what their job was initially was collecting alcohol tax um so you know i'm trying to think of like a movie that i've seen from the 70s where there's like a you know stock car racer who's a who's a moonshine runner on the side but um you know and they're running from the revenueers um the, that would have been what what they did i mean this was initially their task and then they get stuck with guns by the 1968 Gun Control Act which was you know passed under LBJ who's probably one of my least favorite human beings ever mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then it became a fully independent bureau of the treasury department in 1972. Uh I think I don't think that they got explosives till 9/11 because as any of their agents will tell you they are the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. Mm-hmm. Uh ATF <laughs> actually does sound kind of cool, but the ATF is just what we call them. So that's that's where they that's kind of their origin and They never, I mean, everybody I think listening to this is going to know about Waco. Everybody's going to know about Ruby Ridge. But, and everybody here is going to know about the 1986 what they would probably call the 1986 gun control act. The the official name of the 1986 gun control act is in fact, the firearm owners protection act of 1986. And you think, well, but it restricts my right to own fully automatic weapons, um, which I do believe is an, an infringement of second amendment rights. I I will just go on record as saying that, you know, I do think that Americans have the right to own fully automatic weapons. Um, I, not Americans. I think that that's a, you know, I think this is a universal right that people have. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason that it's called that is because the main the main reason that law was drafted was because there was tons of abuse by the ATF in the seventies. Uh, in fact, there was a Senate investigation. There was a Senate subcommittee that investigated, and. Their report stated based upon these hearings it is apparent that ATF enforcement tactics made possible by current federal firearms laws are constitutionally legally and practically reprehensible. Now this was in 1986 when you know the Congress in general was pretty pretty strongly democratic as it was from uh, you know the age of FDR all the way through to the Republican Revolution of 1994. Um, I don't know offhand if, if this was one of those odd years where it was a Republican Senate, but in any event, the Senate thought that uh, there was an alphabet agency with too much power, and that really kind of tells you all that you need to know mm-hmm. about how bad the ATF is. The ban on fully automatic weapons is was actually kind of done as part of horse trading uh within the senate to rein in the ATF and that was the concession that was given by the you know I don't know I don't know if pro second amendment is really the the right term for it but you know uh, in any event that was kind of the concession given and that is what uh that's the last step on the way before we get to Ruby Ridge and Waco um which you know I'm 40 years old and I remember watching the Siege of Waco on television, mm-hmm. you know, live on TV. It was it was the last Friday of every time I do this. I'll will I'll probably bring up that it was the Friday of uh, which was the last day of the April vacation week that I had off. Other than these really high profile cases that are very obvious overreaches, there's a lot going on with the ATF that people should be aware of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is uh, Skip Coyle on Home Defense Show. We're speaking with Sam Jacobs, lead writer and chief historian of ammo.com. Now, Sam, there's just all kinds of stuff here. Uh, you know, and it's like, I think, okay, th- these are all the things that we know about, the abuses that we know about. And whenever I see, like, the tip of an iceberg, it makes me wonder what's underneath? what else uh is the ATF doing what other abuses have they done how many vi- civil rights have they violated you know i just know i don't know what's your thought on that well obviously i don't
0: i don't know what they what we don't know but i do know some stuff that maybe some of your listeners don't know because as i said everybody knows about ruby ridge everybody knows about waco um some of them some of your listeners probably know uh, well everyone knows about fast and furious or operation gunrunner some of your listeners may know about their partnership with police, local police in Richmond where they were harassing and intimidating legal gun buyers uh there was a similar thing in Pittsburgh where they the ATF was visiting the houses of buyers from a gun show and demanding to see papers uh do you know about the time that they try that they got a 19 year old mentally disabled drug addict to get a uh, the logo of a fake shell business tattooed on his neck.
1: <laughs> no, is I think I would have remembered happened? that one. Well, why would they do that? Uh, well,
0: they claim, and this is a doozy, uh, they claim that the reason that they manipulated this man to um, get a neck tattoo was to maintain their own cover. That they needed to do this to keep from blowing their cover, and the judge just didn't let this go all the hearings around this. he just was like, "I do not understand not following this guy's mm-hmm. you know as as one wouldn't like it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense um so that there was that um there was the time that the a t f you know entrapped um you know everyone knows that they entrapped Randy Weaver, that's been proven in court. Do you know about the time they entrapped a bunch of old Laotian men? Mm, no, by... I hadn't heard that one. So I actually grew up somewhere with a large um, Southeast Asian population. It was primarily Cambodian, uh, but many of them were from the same ethnic group as these Laotian men. It's the Hmong. Uh, they're an ethnic minority in the region, and they're you know targeted by the communist government of Laos, or at least feel that they are. And the there are a lot of Hmong refugees, uh mostly in California and Massachusetts and Rhode Island where I grew up. And so the ATF was entrapping them by selling them illegal weapons that they were then you know supposedly gonna traffic back to these um Hmong tribesmen in Laos. And the thing is like it's it's already bad enough. Like everything I've already said is kind of bad enough. But most of these guys are elderly. Many of them are not in great health. Um, they're not like trafficking arms back to Laos because they think that they're gonna that there's gonna be some Hmong uh, uprising against the Laotian government. They're basically funneling weapons to these these tribesmen so that they can defend themselves. Yeah. Um, and you know they were all. As far as I know, they were all cleared, but they had to spend tons of time um, and money fighting these charges. And you know, they're there some of these guys are in their seventies. So if you pick, like my father's seventy years old. So if you picture, you know, your seventy year old father having to fight ATF entrapment um, in the years when he should be off playing golf and playing with his grandkids and that kind of thing. You know, that's that's what the ATF did. Um, I think that it really goes beyond simply incompetence or what I would kind of call garden variety federal overreach and really into uh, the status of a rogue um, agency and I think that there's pretty significant evidence that the ATF is unique among federal alphabet agencies hmm. in terms of how, how corrupt it is and how
1: far their overreach is you know so basically the Hamong tribe you know, when they came here, it was there. the ATF was kind of like a uh, an American welcome wagon. You know, hello, welcome to America, um, <laughs> and uh, here here's an example of freedom. They were already terrified of of a centralized government, and they come here and they're terrorized by the ATF.
0: Yeah, it's really like I mean, I, because partly because I grew up around so many people from this ethnic group, it's like I have a very I don't know if I'd say a personal connection to it, but like you know, I've I've lived among these people and seen these people and like many of them have gone through hell to get to the united states uh, and this is how they're you know treated and it's also worth noting that part of why they're here how they got here i believe is that they were that they were assisting the united states um and you know sm- limited and small scale capacities during the vietnam war and so it's it's also kind of troubling in that respect because there's all this kind of there was all this kind of talk when um the president pulled advisors out of out of uh and intelligence out of uh and troops out of out of Syria that like, you know, oh we're gonna let down the, you know, anarcho communists of the Kurdish uh People's Army or whatever it's called. And like we have this example of, you know, not just American troops being pulled out, but like American, you know, a, an ethnic group that had been, for, for all intents and purposes, allied with the United States in the fight against communism during the Vietnam era, basically not just not just being hung out to dry, which would have been bad enough, mm-hmm. but actively targeted by the federal government, um, who, you know, I believe they had every right to think would, would be their friend once they got out of harm's way in Laos and uh, Cambodia.
1: Yeah, well, apparently – some people have too much time on their hands. Uh, well, Sam, we're we're out of time for this segment. Um, when we come back, I want to talk some more about the ATF and, you know, crazy things that are happening with them. Uh, so we're going to take a, a quick two-minute break here. When we come back, we'll talk more about that. In the meantime, check out our sponsors, FirearmsLegal.com slash Midwest Tactical, and also Center Shot Indoor Gun Range, com, where it's always a perfect 70 degrees. This is Skip Correll and Home Defense Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back.
0: This is Phoenix Correale on the Home Defense Show. Always use guns safely and
1: wisely. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Would you like to take your tactical and marksmanship training to the next level? If the answer is yes, you need to check out Center Shot Indoor Gun Range just south of Grand Rapids, conveniently located off US-131. CenterShot is one of the most advanced firing ranges in Michigan. CenterShot firing lanes have nearly 100 customizable shooting programs to make you better no matter what your skill level. Our advanced lanes allow a more immersive training experience to enhance your senses. Controlled lighting and target movement mean that you get the best practice and most fun out of CenterShot Indoor Gun Range. Memberships are available for as low as $150. CenterShot also offers a 10% discount to U.S. military veterans. So, no matter what the weather, hot, cold, or in between, Center Shot Indoor Gun Range is always a perfect 70 degrees. This is where I train every week, and so should you. Find out more by going to centershotgunrange.com or call them at 616 371 7468. Stay safe, and I'll see you at Center Shot Indoor Gun Range. Hey, folks, I want to tell you about my new book, Concealed Carry for Christians. More and more people across the country are seeing the dangers in society and are deciding to carry concealed to protect themselves and your family, and that includes people of faith. Our churches are not as safe as they used to be, and that's why I included chapters on forming church safety teams and stopping mass shooters. You can get concealed carry for Christians real easy. Just go to Amazon.com, search on Skip Coriel, Concealed Carry for Christians, and it'll pop right up there. Don't put it off any longer. Get Concealed Carry for Christians by yours truly, Skip Coriel. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel. We are speaking with Sam Jacobs, lead writer and chief historian for Ammo.com. Sam, I find it hard to believe that you grew up in New England. Uh, Typically, when I think of Rhode Island and Connecticut, I don't think uh, of a gun owner's paradise. Am I mixed up on that?
0: No, you're not mixed up on that at all. I mean, it's it, if somebody has a firearms ID card, which is what you need to even own a handgun in um, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, um, because like they're you know, if Massachusetts passes a law, Rhode Island usually passes one that's very very similar um, because they're right next to each other. No, I mean, I know I know people who have uh, FIDs. To, you know, or a pistol permit as it's called there. Um, I don't know how difficult they are to get. I know that concealed carry weapons permits just are not given out in southern New England. Um, unless you're, you know, a prison guard, or a, or a retired cop, or something like that. Um, you, judges, some lawyers, maybe. Uh, but those are just—I don't know—I I don't know anybody who has a concealed carry permit who lives in southern New England. Northern New England, however, is a three-statewide constitutional carry zone. And one of the fascinating things to me about Vermont is so people that are familiar with kind of the minutiae of how state gun laws work may be aware that. Um, in arizona is a constitutional carry state however you can get you can get a concealed carry permit and in many cases it's wise to do so because there's reciprocity across different states um you can carry a weapon into a restaurant with a with that serves alcohol if you have a permit you obviously can't drink while carrying but if you don't have the permit you're actually not even allowed to enter um you know applebee's if they serve beer um but you know, in any event, um, Vermont is a constitutional carry state, and you can't get a permit. And the reason why you can't get a permit is Vermont's gun laws predate the United States Constitution, mm. and so at no point has it ever occurred to their state government to come up to to like put the bureaucracy in place to start issuing concealed carry weapons permits. So you can still go get a permit in Maine. You can still go get a permit in new hampshire um but you there's no there's no permit to be got in vermont the thing that you want doesn't exist there's no paperwork there's no bureaucracy there's nothing in place to get a firearms permit uh but again that's very very different from uh southern new england which is the more urban part of the city and as i say i don't know anybody in southern new england who Carries. No, a lot of people have pistol permits, but I don't know anybody who carries.
1: So, uh, Sam, is it safe to say that your bug out location is not Southern New England?
0: It is definitely not in Southern <laughs> New England.
1: You know, I'm guessing you're probably somewhere over in the uh, Southwest, maybe not all the way to California, but somewhere in the Southwest where it's safe. Um, <clears throat> all right, Sam. You know, in the article. Uh, about the history of the ATF. You you mentioned uh something about a uh a slush fund. Uh talk about that for a second so my readers know.
0: Yeah, so the slush fund is kind of I think one of the two big examples of how the ATF isn't just this federal alphabet agency that we all don't like and we all think has abuses um and we all would like to see gotten rid of like, you know, the IRS. You know, my, my pet peeve, Alphabet Agency, is the TSA. I absolutely hate the TSA. <laughs> uh, I would, I, if you, give you, if you gave me the choice between getting rid of the IRS and the TSA, I'm going with the TSA every time. <laughs> okay. I hate the TSA. Um, but the ATF is a little different. And this slush fund of theirs is one really good example of it. So over the course of years, the ATF, uh built up this giant fund without any congressional or executive oversight in fact congress and the uh, and the you know no one in the federal government even knew that this thing existed and they did it through um another one of their shill businesses for entrapping people this one was around um illegal cigarettes which sounds you know any it's like anybody who's not from the northeast this sounds stupid anybody who's from the northeast knows that like yeah when, 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 when wise guys find, in air quotes, a warehouse full of cigarettes, all of a sudden you can get a pack of cigarettes for three bucks, and there's a lot of money to be made. Illegally selling cigarettes. It's why you can't buy? It's why you can't buy Lucy's anymore. It's why you can't buy individual cigarettes anymore? Because it's just they want to be able to track this so and collect the taxes and everything. Um, but yeah, it's a very like New England slash Northeast thing to like know a guy who can get you a three dollar, you know, like a thirty dollar carton of cigarettes. Um, but they were doing this in somewhere in the south it was the bristol virginia office but the thing is you you fit you hear that and you're like okay well maybe it's just this one office and it was known throughout the entire organization if you needed money you called bristol virginia because they had all the money in the world from from their cigarette operation <laughs> um you know and, and they were paying uh they paid two informants six million dollars each Good work if you can get it. Yeah, They used it to buy a twenty-one thousand dollar, you know, rented a twenty-one thousand dollar NASCAR suite. Uh, took a trip to Vegas. Uh, this is all super illegal, you know. Even even if you think it's like irresponsible or bad spending or whatever, it's completely illegal. I mean, there. I don't even think that the C.I.A. is 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 like technically allowed to kind of have black book operations you know you're not just allowed to like how oh it's, it's off the books like we've got our own little private you know fund for all this stuff like you're not allowed you're not allowed to do that and there's all kinds of examples of this happening civil asset forfeiture funds are misused all the time but the difference is when civil when when you know i I'm not you know some small town police department is misusing civil asset forfeiture funds, which we've written about extensively on the site. Um, you can at least find the records for it, you yeah. know because they you gotta have receipts for everything and this is this is not that. Uh, tens of millions of dollars moved through this bank account. No one has any idea. I mean, it could be hundreds of millions. We just don't know. It was finally shut down in 2013. Um, and that is, I think, one of the two big examples of the ATF as a rogue agency. The other I would say is that, you know, I mentioned earlier that that the Senate really wanted to crack down on them after the the hearings that they did in the late 70s and the early 80s. But how many alphabet agencies do you know that have had a bill introduced multiple times to have them disbanded entirely? <laughs> well, the ATF has. Yeah. Uh, Representative James S- Sensenbrenner, Brenner, he was a Republican from Wisconsin, uh, I believe twice he introduced a bill into Congress to break the ATF up. Alcohol and tobacco was going to go to the DEA, weapons, arson, explosives, terrorism was going to go to the FBI. Makes sense to me. I'm not a big fan of either agency, but, it's, <laughs> but it makes sense to me that the, that the ATF is doing stuff that other organizations are already, you know, other alphabet organizations are already ready to do. But here's the real kicker to all this is that the federal government for many years froze the budget of the ATF, which is an effective budget cut. Right. Because Mm -hmm. there's built in there's a built in increased expenses every year, Um, salaries, rent, you know, and and in addition to just kind of the general cost of inflation for things that they need to buy, like the rent on their buildings goes up every year. Um, I believe that they get automatic raises every year, which, again, good work if you can get it. Um, And then the Trump administration, you know, finally. Um, started stripping responsibilities away from them. Um, they started, they actually cut their budget, I believe. You know, you can't like really, you can't find me in a parallel to this. You know, so I think that there's, there's a kind of conservatism and a reticence on the part of the federal government to begin scaling back their bureaucracy in any way whatsoever. But the ATF is so bad. That they that they that they even make moves against against them, and I think that that is very very
1: telling. Yeah, this is Skip Correll on Home Defense Show. We're speaking with Sam Jacobs, lead writer and chief historian from Ammo dot com about the ATF and their abuses. Uh, Sam, they sound you know like a Jason Bourne thing, like you know Black Brier and uh, a Black Ops. Uh, Agents. God, they wish they were that cool. <laughs> well, you know, I've often heard of them refer. I mean, for like decades, when someone talks about the ATF, they might mention that they're they're like the redheaded stepchild of the FBI. Have you ever heard that saying?
0: I've never heard that exact saying, but I am familiar with. At, there's at least a perception particularly among other other federal law enforcement that the ATF is like guys who can't hack it in the FBI <laughs> and, and and without getting into too much kind of armchair psychoanalysis you know it would explain a lot if that were the case about why they're so you know why they're so gung ho about mm-hmm. Their 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 mission that like if they have this kind of in, I mean, it's it does seem to me that they they have some kind of inferiority complex with with regards to their place in the federal alphabet uh, <laughs> a, agency universe, because, yeah, that's I mean, I, I don't know. I have no statistics. I don't even know how you would get such statistics, but it does seem that at least the perception is, oh, the ATF is made up of guys who can't cut it in the in the FBI.
1: Well, they they have to try uh, twice as hard because they're half as competent. Um, And and we can make we're in the media. We we don't need stats. We can just make them up right here. (laughs) But uh, but anyways, uh, we got some good stuff uh, going here. Um, You know, you mentioned the Trump administration. Uh, I would think there might be an opportunity here to scale back on the ATF a little bit more. You know, Trump seems no matter what people think about Trump, he's a businessman. And if he sees something that doesn't give him, you know, the best bang for his buck, he's say, well, why are we spending this money? What are we getting out of it? If they can't justify it, you know, they might get scaled back a little bit more. Is there anything, uh, any hint of more of that happening?
0: Well, the the left kind of fears this about Donald Trump that he's going to like – um, Mother jo- a Mother Jones article said that there's the the, the the Republicans have kneecapped the ATF. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know how much they kneecapped it. They banned bump stocks on <laughs> yes. you know, Donald Trump's watch, and we still don't have silencers and things like that. And you know, I actually like I, I, I just on a personal level, I really like the president. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I've been disappointed in a lot of the execution of what he ran on. But you know, what do you? I mean, what do you expect from the president of the United States? I think is a fair kind of question to ask. But it's also fair to ask, what do you expect from the president of the United States if you get, you know, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that he actually has any chance of ever becoming president. But let's just use Beto O'Rourke as an example, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Let's just use Beto as our thought experiment. Imagine Beto is elected with the Uh, I I shouldn't even call him Beto. Robert Francis O'Rourke is uh, elected president of the United States with the same kind of mandate that Barack Obama was and the same level of political capital and the same composition of the first Congress that Barack Obama had. What is he – how is he going to use the ATF? He's not going to gut them. You're you know? right yeah and, and and even if he doesn't really like ramp them way back up and make them this kind of like you know door to door um gun collection goon squad which i think is is despite his kind of talk on the issue i think extremely unlikely for you know a variety of reasons um that i think people can kind of guess at themselves um but you know let's just say that he he kind of go doubles down on the um, going to people's houses after they've been to a gun show and demanding it's to see their paperwork and asking a bunch of questions. And this becomes not, you know, even necessary. Necess- I don't think it's necessary to go all in on um, the extreme possibilities of where this could go. I think that we can actually have a very measured and, and, and kind of moderate, moderate and conservative view of this, which is, you know, let's just say that, one in every 50 people who purchase a weapon at a gun show are going to be harassed in some manner by the atf that is still a heck of a lot of people yeah that's still a heck of a lot of gun buys and that is certainly going to have some people thinking twice about whether or not they arm themselves and i think that that is kind of like you know could the atf be used as like a registration and confiscation squad um sure do i think it's likely no do i think that um somebody kind of cut from the same cloth as robert francis o'rourke becoming president and using the atf to harass a small but significant minority of gun owners is is likely yes that i think is extremely likely yeah. Uh, that I think is is it should almost be kind of taken as a given the next time you have a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress, um, you know, if God forbid such a thing were were to ever happen again. But yeah, I think that that is like you know a scary enough prospect that we don't kind of have this going way out on a limb into like they're gonna come door to door and take my guns because the chilling effect of you know, I mean, I I don't wanna to speak to like what people are gonna do in this situation. I think it's enough to say that this would this would create a chilling effect for Second Amendment rights and the exercise thereof in this country that while stopping far short of uh banning guns or confiscating weapons or registering them would be significant enough and certainly would be in in my opinion and I'm sure the opinion of many of your listeners an infringement
1: upon second amendment rights. Yeah. Yeah, I've already hidden all of my AR14s. I don't want them getting a hold of those <laughs> anyway anyhow. So I've hidden all of those, all my AR14 ammo. Uh so I think I'm covered there but
0: uh, you know man, every time I call it an AR-14, I'm so afraid that somebody's not going to get the joke and they're just going to,
1: yeah. Well, my, my listenership will, will definitely get that joke. <laughs> Sam, we are about out of time, uh, for, for the, this segment in the show, but, uh, you've been fantastic. You've been entertaining, very educational. Um, you know, how can, before you go, tell people how they can find out about all things Sam Jacob.
0: Well, uh, I'd love it if you guys, you know, I didn't want a Twitter, but they kind of made me get one at gunpoint. (laughs) Uh, So if you go to Twitter.com forward slash Sam Jacobs 45, you can follow me there. Um, I post all the stuff that I uh, do on Ammo.com, and I also will, uh, you know, be posting podcasts such as this one that I go on uh, in in addition to, you know, tweeting my kind of general thoughts and and concerns of the day it's been it's been uh pretty quiet the last couple days because i've been driving 30 of the last 48 hours so
1: yep uh, well, Sam, uh, thanks for being on the uh, Home Defense Show today. We appreciate it very, very much, and we will let you get back to your mobile command posts and do all your your research, your writing, and your social distancing, and and all of that good stuff while we weather out the uh, coronavirus uh, storm here. Sam, thanks for being on Home Defense Show. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got a two-minute break coming up here. While we're away, check out our sponsors, farmslegalcom slash midwesttactical, and also Center Shot Indoor Gun Range. And, hey, go to ammo.com and check out Sam Jacobs. The guy's a, a really good writer. He's very knowledgeable, and I highly recommend it. This is Skip Cory and Home Defense Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Well, Connor, now it's time for our Armed American Report. What do you have? All of us here at the Lines of Freedom want our listeners to get trained and get armed, in that order. We fully support the right to keep and bear arms for all law-abiding families, and we encourage you to find out
0: about the laws governing use of deadly force in your state and follow them to the letter. And of course, don't forget to follow the rules of safety and common sense whenever you're carrying a firearm to protect the ones you love. What's the story for the week, Cedar? Three masked men entered a smoke shop in Fresno, California on December 20th and threatened the store's clerk at gunpoint. One suspect reportedly held the clerk down while the others stole the merchandise and the cash. The store owner, who arrived before they left, was concerned about his clerk's safety since he couldn't see him. The owner entered the store with his legal firearm and exchanged shots with the suspects, killing two while the third
1: fled. Fresno police said they believed the suspects fired first and the store owner responded in self-defense. They also said the incident was related to a previous robbery. Thanks, Cedar. Retail centers like gas stations, smoke shops, convenience stores, and just about any other place where the general public is free and even encouraged to come and go as they please, are often targets of violent crime. These are places with accessible money behind a counter, like miniature banks, but without the protection of a bank, so they are often perceived as soft targets by the criminal community. In this scenario, the clerk was saved and two criminals are dead, but what would have happened to the clerk if the owner hadn't intervened? We just don't know for sure. We can flippantly say that most often the clerk hands over the money and the criminals leave and no one is hurt. But how do you know for sure what will happen? In most armed robberies, there are two actors, the robber and the victim. But this isn't Hollywood. There is no script and no one knows what is going to happen next because neither the robber nor the victim can control the other. But you could assume that the unarmed victim has no choice but to comply. But that's not always true. He does have a choice. According to research by Ann Nasser. Department of Sociology, John F. Kennedy Institute, clerks even when unarmed do not cooperate with the robber. Sometimes they fight back with whatever is handy. Sometimes they laugh or ignore the robber. In my opinion, this is a dangerous game because you are gambling that the man with the gun isn't emotionally prepared to kill you. So, here's my best advice. Sometimes compliance is best, but not always. Pay attention to your gut instincts and look for pre-attack indicators such as moving you to the back room or making you kneel down facing away from them. These are not good signs. Second, be smart and wait for the best time to launch your counter ambush. For example, if they turn away from you, or when they are talking, or when the gun is pointed in another direction. These are all good times to counter attack. Third, if you choose to fight back, then do so with all your might. Don't do it half heartedly. This is the time when you unleash the beast and do whatever you have to do to drive off your attacker And survive. Finally, retail clerks have a dangerous job, so get the best firearms and tactical training that you can, and always have the gun on your person and readily accessible. This store owner showed great courage and tactical skill by defeating three armed men, and Frontlines of Freedom salutes his bravery and determination. I'm sure his employees salute him as well. This is Colonel Danny Gillum. I host Frontlines of Freedom, a weekly syndicated military talk radio show. One of my co-hosts is Skip Coriel, the host of this show. We cover things that impact military and veteran communities, and we do it from the veteran's perspective.
0: The show is broadcast across the nation and is also available as a podcast on our
1: website, frontlinesoffreedom.com. Please join Skip and me weekly on Frontlines of Freedom. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Home Defense Show. This is your host, Skip Coriel, Sam Jacobs from Ammo.com. <laughs> a kindred spirit. I kind of like that guy. Sam is the recent proud new owner of a Glock Model 20. Uh, he was sharing w- uh, that with me uh, off air. Uh, Glock Model 20, that's the 10-millimeter uh, version. And I asked him, I said, why, why, why the Glock 20? You know, y- you must be have big hands. And he said, yeah, I do, I do have big hands. And they were they were out of Glock 19s, <laughs> so you know, run on guns, things like that'll happen. But hey, Glock model 20, it's a fine uh, it's a fine firearm. If I had money to burn, I would get one myself, just to say that I have it, uh, you know, and just in case bears attack my house, giant mutant junky alien bears, uh, Glock uh, 20 would be a good thing to have all right let's uh transition back into the uh 19. Uh, i went to uh the uh studio uh just a, a few days ago about four days ago and uh, you know uh, record the front lines of freedom radio show that i that i do every week with denny Gillum. and uh i was surprised when i got there because my son cedar and i were there and we walked into the elevator you know press the the right floor button and nothing happened the button wouldn't light up and i pressed it and pressed it and we, we couldn't go anywhere so i, I walk outside and and uh, i found a janitor i said hey what's what's going on he says oh the elevators are locked i said why So, well because of uh the coronavirus and my first thought was well the coronavirus is affecting elevators now and he said no no uh, they're they're locked down up there and Uh, You can't get there. I said, well, hey, I got to do a show here. I record in 15 minutes. And uh, I managed to talk him into using his key to get me in the elevator so I could get up there. I had to prove who I was first. And so I got up there uh, to the right floor, got in there, and uh, had to, again, prove who I was to stay there. Had to talk to the station manager, all kinds of stuff. But long story short is we got the show done, but it took some doing. Uh, it's a great show, uh, by the way, frontlinesfreedom.com. Go check that out. Um, it was a really good show. You know, every time I do the show uh, without Denny, he was on vacation, I do something called Comments from the Noncom, because I was a sergeant in the uh, Marine Corps. Obviously, I had to talk about the coronavirus because that's the biggest news all over the planet right now. And, boy, I didn't know what to say because I really don't know what the truth is. And so, that's what I wrote about. And I'm going to read that to you now, just in case you haven't heard uh, Frontlines of Freedom Radio. There are so many things I could say about the COVID-19 crisis. So many questions that are unanswered. So many things about it that the public isn't sure about or just flat out doesn't know. Was it a bioweapon? Is it really the killer that the media is making it out to be? On the one hand, we are being told not to panic that the vast majority of us will have zero to mild symptoms should we contract the illness. On the other hand, restaurants, schools, churches, many businesses are all being shut down. Have you ever watched the movie The Stand by Stephen King? If you haven't, then don't do it now because it just might scare you to death. Is the government telling us the whole truth? Is the media hyping this beyond what they should? Right now, we have more questions than answers. And when that happens, fear sets in leaving all of us to the nightmare scenarios of our own imaginations. One thing common to the human psyche is this. We are all terrified of the unknown. So let's just spit it out. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, the biggest question and the biggest fear on every American's mind. Are we all going to die? Well, the short answer is no, absolutely not. Well, probably not. I I doubt it. Well maybe not. And you see folks, that's what fear of the unknown does. It makes us question the future. The unvarnished truth is this, we don't really know what is going to happen. It could be a range of things. If and when this all blows over, many Americans might be embarrassed at their behavior over the past few months. The stock market could rebound or it could tank completely. The food shelves could be restocked or they could go the way of Argentina. The NBA and Major League Baseball teams could reopen, or they could close forever. The death toll could fade away and the infection rate could decline, or they could skyrocket. Who knows, maybe in a few weeks or months, this could all run its course and things might go back to normal. The mainstream media will go back to finding new and innovative ways to beat up President Trump and ensure that Joe Biden wins the election in November. Democrats and Republicans can go back to hating each other and publicly fighting over political power and turf. I used to be bothered by that sort of thing, but not so much anymore. Oh, for the good old days when all we worried about was political infighting, media bias, the price of gas, slow internet, and the culture war. But for right now, Americans have more important things on their minds, like, well, will I be alive in 30 days? To be totally honest, I wasn't taking COVID-19 all that seriously until last Friday when Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump announced that they had agreed on legislation to combat the pending health crisis. My mind did a double take. My brain freaked out. Nancy and the Donald are agreeing and cooperating with each other? How can that be? And that got me to thinking. What crisis could be so serious as to cause sworn enemies, politicians who hate each other, to suddenly join hands in a circle and sing multiple verses of Kumbaya. It's probably nothing, but it does make a body wonder. Ignorance breeds fear. Certainty spawns unrest. It takes three to six months for a pandemic to burn itself out, but the big question, the unanswered question on everyone's mind, is this. How many of us will be left? There is a certain percentage of the American public with brittle personalities. They have trouble with flexibility, with bending, with uncertainty. And when they don't know exactly what the future holds, they fall apart. Will society collapse? I highly doubt it. But things do tend to fall apart, do they not? The law of entropy says that things go from order to disorder, that it is almost inevitable. I'm reminded of William Butler Yeats's famous words in his poem, The Second Coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Will COVID-19 kill most Americans? I highly doubt it. But I'm not positive, simply because I don't have enough information to make that call. Is the mainstream media telling us the truth? Not for decades. Not since the invention of the 24-hour news cycle. Is the government telling us everything they know about COVID-19? If they are, then it would be the first time in over a hundred years. Despite all of that, I remain optimistic. After all, when has your life ever been a certainty? I'm a devout Christian and the Bible tells me this in James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Humans are at the top of the food chain. We rule the world and we have no natural enemies. Well, except for all those tiny microscopic viruses that tend to lay us low and scare the bejesus out of us. So here's my advice to all the listeners. Control is an illusion. You think you have it, but you don't. Humanity is mortal. You're given a few years on this earth, so try to make it a better place to live for your progeny. God, family, country, in that order. Don't worry. One day all of us will meet our maker. But until then, don't give in to fear. Just take a step back, relax. Don't make fear-based decisions. Plan for the worst, but pray for the best. We'll make it through this thing like we always have before, but we need to work together. A crisis will either bring out the worst in you or the best. Let's make it the best. And those are my comments on COVID-19. Well, folks, I will uh, be with you again next week. I'm pretty sure I won't have COVID-19, but even if I do, I'll most likely survive. All right, folks, that about wraps it up for this week's episode of the Home Defense Show. Until next week, remember, your purpose in life is to find something greater than yourself and serve it. Always remember, God, family, country, in that order. It's important how you live, but it's equally important how you die. Your family and the ones you love need your protection, so train, always train, stay alert, stay alive. Until next week on The Home Defense Show, this is your host, Skip Coriel. God bless you, God bless your family, and God bless America.
0: Thank you for joining us this
1: week on The Home Defense Show. Now, get out there and protect the ones you love We'll see you next week with more of the best in home defense. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle.